coming up on Philosophy Talk. Oh, put me down, you Brobdenagian blunderbuss! He's a little cranky from teething. Are babies born with a sense of right and wrong? Well, if they are, they lose it pretty quickly. Otherwise, parents wouldn't have to work so hard to make sure that Jimmy doesn't grow up to be a jerk. They keep calling us to see the baby. You gotta see the baby. <laughs> when are you gonna see the baby? Can't they just send us a tape? Don't you need to have a sophisticated cognitive system in order to have a sense of morality? I remember turning from one years old to two years old, I was real upset because I figured in one year my age doubled. <laughs> Is morality innate? Learned? Or does it come from some combination of nature and nurture? I mean, look at any newspaper. Aliens are getting autopsies and devil babies are being born every day. Our guest is Paul Bloom, author of Just Babies, The Origins of Good and Evil. Babies and the Birth of Morality, coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're here at the studios of KALW San Francisco. We're continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner at Stanford University. That's where Ken and I hang around the philosophy department. Today we're asking about babies and the birth of morality. One of the many questions on this subject is whether morality is innate or learned. Nature or nurture? If we want to answer that question, what better place to begin than with babies? Patan, do you really think that newborns, of all people, have something to actually teach us about the nature of morality? Well, why so skeptical, big guy? Well, it's not like newborns face a lot of deep moral dilemmas. Should I laugh at the big guy making the silly faces at me, or should I cry? That's about it. Ah, you underestimate him, Ken. I mean, babies may not be fully developed moral agents. But studying them, even when they're just a few months old, can actually teach us a lot about the nature of morality. I don't see how babies are born totally self-centered, all in, no superego. Sure, other people matter to them as tools, as sources of food, clean diapers, and comfort, but they don't know anything about right and wrong. Have you been around babies? Not until we start to teach them, anyway. Well, I'm not trying to deny that becoming a fully developed moral agent takes time. Education, socialization. Which is exactly my point. Yeah, but my point, if you'd let me finish, is that adult morality actually builds on and reflects the basic moral instincts that are there right from the start. Oh, the basic moral instincts of babies. Now, those would be what exactly? Well, a tendency to help others in need, sympathy for the pain and suffering of others, even a tendency to punish those who do wrong and reward those who do right. Yeah, once we teach them by punishing them and rewarding them a little bit. No, you're wrong about that. It happens naturally with, without much adult intervention from very early ages and, and in every culture. Yeah, right, John. One-year-old babies enforcing universal standards of infant morality. That'll be the day. You scoff, but consider this little experiment with one-year-olds. Uh, you got some puppets, three puppets. Call it roll the ball, the game they play. One puppet rolls the ball to another puppet who rolls it back. Sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? Yeah, maybe for a one-year-old. Okay, so imagine the puppet in the middle rolls the ball to the puppet on the right who rolls it back. And then the puppet in the middle rolls the ball to the puppet on the left. And that one doesn't roll it back. 
but gets up and walks away with the ball. Oh, bad, bad puppet. See, now you're thinking just like a one-year-old. A child will punish the puppet for its naughtiness. If you put a treat in front of each of the puppets and invite the kid to take one of the treats away, guess which puppet they'll take it from. Don't tell me. The naughty one. Some kids have even been known to slap the naughty puppet. You know, I'm sorry, but I think you're projecting adult concepts onto babies. Maybe the kid just doesn't like the naughty puppet. Maybe they're upset because the mean little puppet ended the fun game. That, That doesn't show that kids are explicitly thinking in terms of adult moral concepts like fairness or justice especially. Well, I grant you that preverbal children can't give explicit moral arguments and presumably can't think them either. Uh, They can't base things on explicit moral principles the way adults sometimes do. There's less of a gap, however, between infants and adults on all this than you imagine. Yeah, I don't even see why we should call these instincts that kids show moral. Why should we call them moral Well, why in the world not? Because, John, it's one thing to be blindly driven by hardwired instincts of the sort you're saying kids have. It's an entirely different thing to make conscious choices based on your understanding of moral principles and concepts and what you owe to other people. That's what morality's all about. Oh, Ken, you're you're channeling your inner Kant again. You need to try to find your inner Hume. Moral instincts, sympathy, that's what comes first, not moral principles. The inborn moral instincts of children are the building blocks on which all the highfalutin moral theories of anal German philosophers rest. <laughs> oh, John, uh, you know, for one, another thing, you know, you're making out kids out to be moral paragons. Look, 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 look. Why is the world, the adult world, such a moral mess if the foundations of morality are built right into the genes like you're, you're, like you're suggesting? Well, kid, I, I'm not saying kids are moral saints. I mean... Babies are naturally altruistic and caring, but only up to a point. Just like grown-ups, they easily form in-groups and out-groups. They can be quite nasty to the out-groups. So the moral messiness, like the moral positiveness, is there from the very beginning. Yeah, you know, I, I, I got to say I'm not totally convinced, but I am willing to admit that there's an awful lot to think about here. And to give us more food for thought, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Natalie Jones out to discover exactly how researchers probe the moral lives of people who can't even talk yet. She files this report. How come infants, when early in the second year for sure, uh, start just handing back out-of-reach objects to people? Auden Dahl is a psychology professor at the University of California, Santa Cruz. He studies babies to try and find out why we do things like help or hurt other people. It's about how did humans come to develop a civilization? How is it that kids can coexist in a preschool, in a classroom, be friends? These are the questions we're ultimately trying to answer. Studying anyone in the lab is a relatively recent practice. The first formal psychological studies started in the late 1800s. Looking at babies and their moral development is even more recent. It began around the early 2000s. So Dahl is cautious about reading too much into the results just yet. It's very, very hard, I think, to to study kids' motivation. I don't think we have developed very, very good methods for that. One of Dahl's studies looks at when kids pitch in to help someone who's having trouble, reaching something they dropped on the floor, for example. He and his fellow researchers videotape the scenarios and code the baby's behavior. Did the kid voluntarily make an effort to help? Did she help after being encouraged to? Did she watch the person needing help for a while before deciding to pitch in? 
Or was the baby totally oblivious to what was happening? I don't think helping behavior is necessarily motivated early in life from a desire to promote the well-being of somebody else. Um, and that's why I would be hesitant to call it an altruistic behavior. Dahl's research suggests that sometimes it's just about wanting to be involved with other people. So you think that oh, when kids start helping, they start harming. But, but they don't, right? That's not what, what's happening. You, you don't see a, like, a sharp decline in harming behaviors at the same time as you see a sharp increase in helping behavior. So drawing conclusions is hard to do. And it's complicated by the logistics of studying babies. Part of the uh, reality of doing research with infants is that they sometimes uh, don't feel like doing what we wish they would do. <laughs> And this one here is a vocabulary list. So essentially here... Over at Mills College in Oakland, Priya Shimpy runs a language development lab that also studies babies and toddlers. If a child cries, if a child does not want to participate, that's, that's part of you know, a child's typical behavior uh, repertoire. And uh, if, if a child decides at that moment, you know, this is not working for me, we don't, we don't push the issue. At the lab, they've developed a routine to warm up the child first. A three-year-old named Ruby is playing a shapes game with the researchers before an experiment. Shimpy says without that warm-up time, it would be hard to get good data. They just might be more apprehensive or, or might, might not be as comfortable and we might not get from them the kind of natural behaviors that we're really looking for in our studies. And getting the parents on board helps too. During the experiment, Ruby sits on her mom's lap and the assistants explain what's about to happen. So I'm going to turn off the lights um, while we show her the video clip. We just ask that you keep your eyes closed and try not to speak with her just because we don't want you to be influencing her reactions in any subtle way. Okay. Is that okay? All right, so I'm going to go ahead and turn off the lights. If kids seem to make choices with negative connotations, like not helping or siding with someone who shows antisocial behavior, researchers assure the parents it's perfectly normal. There are a lot of reasons why a child might not help in a given situation. Again, Auden Dahl from UC Santa Cruz. Could be that they're a little nervous because this is a weird new situation. Um, it could be that they're just interested in something else. Um, that's not a sign of a psychopathology. Dahl says kids might like one thing more than another, but that doesn't mean they think one's bad. And it's not really a question of morals. It's about preferences. And he says most of the time, both parents and kids enjoy the experience in the lab. After all, it's not every day that we have the opportunity to help future generations figure out how to get along with each other. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Natalie Jones.